Welcome to the Underground Podcast, a weekly teaching from the 20 service at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. Stay tuned for ways to connect with our ministry following the message. Hey guys, this is Pastor Chad coming live to you from the Underground Studios, and we have had an incredible time over the last six weeks going through this series, Uncovered, Pulling Back the Sheets on Dating, Marriage, and Sex. And today we're going to do a special message to uh, help us fill in the gap of Thanksgiving break. Of course, we're not going to meet for Thanksgiving. We want you to be with your family and friends celebrating and rejoicing and thanking God for all the things He's given us. And so what our hope is 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 to uh, slip this message in on Thursday so that you could have a little something to tune into. I know it's it's great to be in a habit of coming to Underground every week, and it kind of throws us off sometimes when we have to adjust our schedule. So hopefully this is going to be helpful. Here's what I want to do. Let me start by just listing off these questions really quick, or at least a couple other thoughts so that you know where we're going today. Uh, Some of the questions we got that we'll address today. What age can you get married? Uh, What do you do when your partner is trying to overcome addiction? What's the guideline or the boundary for when you start conversations about engagement or getting married with the person that you're dating? What's the balance between that one-on-one time and then that group time? How do you kind of measure that out? Another question is, is is flirting inappropriate? That's a great question. We'll talk about that. If you have a child with someone, is it okay to live with them? Now we're talking about some specialty things, but these are all very, very important. A couple others we'll go through. This isn't all of them, but Uh, Do I have to tell my significant other about my addiction to pornography? These are wonderful questions. And so that's what we're going to go today. Uh, We'll answer a few more. We'll get a little specific. But hopefully today is going to be super practical and helpful for you as we use this time to really close down what's been an incredible series. So let's begin with question number one. What age can you get married? Now, here's one thing we have to remember. Age is a number. Okay, And so in our culture today versus biblical times, things are very different. In biblical times, people got married as early as 12, and that was normal. Now, unfortunately, it sounds like the average age is late 20s, even early 30s. So what does that mean? Well, it makes it pretty difficult for us to simply nail down, nail down and say, hey, at age 25, you should be married. That's not really realistic. And so here's what we have to look at. Preparedness and direction. Okay, preparedness and direction. Here's the first thing, preparedness. Do you feel confident that you can either, ladies, follow this man into a lifelong marriage, or men, do you feel confident that you can lead this woman into a lifelong marriage? Do you feel like you can follow the Lord, make those decisions that will affect not only you now, but your entire family? Ladies, is this the kind of guy that you're willing to follow, that you're willing to trust, that you're willing to do life with, you're willing to raise kids with? Is he going to be a father? Does he have a job? Can he maintain these things? Right? What's his work history like? How does he handle money? All of these things are stuff we have to think about before we're ready to necessarily pull the trigger on getting married. Now, that being said, it does affect how old someone is when they get married. Typically in our culture today at 12, you're not able to handle those kinds of decisions. Even at 15 or 16, 
Now, what culture's done, though, is given us so much freedom, and in all honesty, it's really based a lot in sin, that we're spending so much time living the party life, sleeping around, getting access to the things that should be saved for marriage. We're getting them early, and therefore, marriage is not that big of a deal. Plus, a lot of people nowadays just start to move in together. They start living together, and so really, to them, marriage is paperwork that's pretty costly, and so why bother doing it? So when you look at these things, it really helps us to better look at not so much age, but some of these characteristics. Are they ready? Are they prepared? Here's another thing. Do they have a grip on what God has called them to do? Do you have a grip on what God has called you to do? See, the reality is when you're in college, though there's nothing wrong with getting married in college, a lot of people spend their college years trying to figure out where the Lord is leading them in their life. And a lot of people will change. Your freshman year to your senior year look very different. Your direction in life looks very different. Oftentimes, your major looks very different. To some, it's been looking different many different times. And so those are things we really have to think about preparedness and direction do you trust them are they capable of being your spouse and leading you well is it someone you're willing to follow and then what direction are they heading because here's the thing and we talked about this early on if the lord's heading leading them one way and then he leads you the opposite direction you can get married but it's going to be a miserable experience because the Lord has got two different plans for your life. Now, your calling's not going to be the same. Your career's not going to be the same. But if the Lord is calling you to serve as a missionary in Africa, but calls your spouse to be a house mom here in the States, you're going to have a really difficult marriage trying to figure out, and someone is going to be led astray. So these are all things you got to consider when it comes to age. It's hard to put a number on it, but when we look at preparedness and direction, it helps us to narrow down. As soon as you're ready to do this, And as soon as you find someone you feel is the right person, pull the trigger, get married and celebrate because you know you're heading in the right direction. What does one do when their partner is trying to overcome addiction? Now, guys, this is really serious and it's very important. So let's talk through this carefully. First, I want to say this. It is not a deal breaker to be dating someone that has an addiction. But let me add, in my personal opinion, I think that it should be. Now, it's not that we don't care about these people. It's not that we don't want to help them. All right. Most of these are our brothers or sisters in Christ. And so we're not abandoning them. But when you are in a relationship with someone, when you are dating someone, it is not wise, nor is it helpful to you to be with someone that is struggling with addiction. The only reason you should be dating, we'll talk about this more in a minute, the only reason you should be dating is to be preparing yourself with someone that looks like they could be potential for you to marry. Now, if you're wanting to marry someone that's struggling with addiction, maybe that's a different story, but I don't feel like that's the case. And so for most people, this is going to be a warning sign of of struggles ahead. It doesn't mean you cannot conquer addiction because you can, and many in our ministry have done that, praise the Lord. But all of them will tell you it was something they had to do around other people, but in a dating relationship would not have been wise, nor would it have been helpful. Let's talk about that. How was it not helpful? Well, If you are dating them, you are simply a distraction to the healing process that they are going to have to endeavor. Now, can you help at times? Of course, but you can also do that as a friend. They're healing also, though, as they're conquering this addiction. If they find too much strength in you and not enough strength on their own, all right, or specifically in the Lord, 
what's going to happen is what if something happens and this relationship doesn't pan out? Well, all of a sudden, a major void is now in their life that was once part of their recovery. And so though these things are not guarantees, they are great warnings for us to be very, very careful. So here's what I think. If you're dating someone that has is struggling with an honest addiction, I would say it take a break end the relationship and let them recover, let them heal, and then pursue a relationship later. But it is not worth the risk for you or for them in this season. And again, this is not because we don't care, that we don't love them, and we can help them as a friend, but we really don't need to be helping them as a dating partner. That's just not the way to do this. And so be careful, be cautious, uh, ask the right questions, and then when the time is appropriate, allow the healing to take place, and then the Lord can restore and bring you two maybe back together further down the road. At what point in a relationship does it become appropriate to start having conversations in regards to engagement and marriage? Well, this is good. First, here's the big kicker. You should never be in a relationship unless you see marriage as potential. You might want to rewind that, but I'll help you. You should not be in a relationship unless you see marriage as potential. Now, it doesn't mean when you start dating someone that you are now have to marry this person because the only reason you're willing to marry them is because they are potential for marriage. That's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is you really shouldn't be dating someone unless you're willing to be married and you feel that person is a candidate for marriage. Here's why. Listen, if you date someone without ever deciding or, or seeing marriage excuse me, in a coming state sooner rather than later, what you do is put yourself in, let's say dating for four years, four years of pressure and temptation. Now, these are the kind of things we're trying to avoid. We never want to feel pressured to be married, and we never want to put ourselves in places where we could fall to temptation. And so if we are dating someone with no regard to get married, we have no uh, inkling of wanting to get married anytime soon, it is a wise decision to pull back, take a break, and relax. Now, when you get to that stage and you're ready and you see marriage as great potential, then I would say to you this. Go through the four seasons. What does that mean? Well, go through a year. Spend a year watching how they interact with people, watching how they interact with their family, right? If you go for a year, you're going to see all the holiday seasons, right? So you may meet someone, they're great, everything looks good, they love the Lord, but then all of a sudden something happens at spring break and they go back to their old college days and every year they just have one week where they cut loose and go crazy. Well, it's kind of nice to know that. And so going through the four seasons or essentially a year is a great plan to just kind of see what does life look like with this person from start to finish. In a perfect world, this is a side note, by the way, in a perfect world, if you started dating in January, it would be marvelous because at the end of the year comes Christmas and then you can celebrate Christmas and New Year's with an engagement and then you're getting married and it's all beautiful. That doesn't always work out, of course, but that's just a side note. Now, when we say the four seasons, please note, we're not saying that this is what you have to do, that after one year, you're going to be ready or you have to be ready. But one year or going through the four seasons is very helpful for you to see and to acknowledge, hey, am I ready to take this next step? One year is not too long, but it's also not too short. And then at that point, once you've gone through a year and you feel good, I think the conversation should begin. And let me say this, 
once you get engaged, you do not have to have a long engagement. In fact, I would encourage you not to. If you have gotten to the point doing this right and you are now engaged, you know for a fact that you are ready to get married. Don't put yourself in any more temptation. Plan just as much as you need to do whatever you want to do for your wedding day and all of those things. And then go ahead and get married and enjoy the life of married people because it is marvelous. Now let's look at another question. When trying to find a healthy balance of community time and one-on-one time, how should it measure out? Now, this is a great question because it, it, in all honesty, gets a little confusing and it can be difficult. Why? Because there's not an exact template. All right. Now, here's what I would say. Here's some things we got to consider. Some of this is re- rehashing from previous messages. Others of this is new. Here's the first thing. Always start by spending time in groups, both before you start dating and while you are dating. This is very important. We talked about this a lot. Groups help us to see who people really are, but groups also help us to make things uh, go slow. It also helps us to avoid temptation. There are many, many benefits to both group dating, but also group stalking, as I like to call it, or group getting to know each other because the setting is safe and appropriate. Now, once you're dating, obviously there is going to be time to be spent one-on-one, and that's a great thing couple things though to consider. Make sure your setting is safe. Don't spend a lot of time watching movies alone and think you're going to be okay. Everybody falls to sexual temptation when they do not plan accordingly. And so make sure that you spend your one-on-one time in good, safe environments that you guys can encourage each other and build each other up and lead closer into a relationship that honors the Lord rather than put yourselves in difficult situations when you're trying hard not to fall. Second thing, though, is remember that your one-on-one time should be fun but also intentional, learning about each other, but doing it slowly, enjoying the process of getting to know each other. You don't need to have a 10-hour conversation at the beginning of your relationship and learn every single detail about that person. Enjoy the process. Stretch it out. Take your time. Don't unveil all of those secrets right away. Try to enjoy the process. Now, some of you are wondering, well, well, can you give me a time frame? Can you help me kind of get some uh, specifics on this? Assuming we're going to take the one-year approach, then think of it in four quarters. So in the first quarter or the first season, try to focus on maybe getting together, being alone one time a week, and then trying to have a conversation on the phone or, or uh, you know, via text one time a week. Now, obviously, there's little texts that are going to be sent. We're not trying to mandate some legalism here, but the idea is one in one. One time we're one-on-one together per week, and one time we spend maybe a more extended conversation on the phone. Now, this doesn't include church and church events and those kinds of things, right? We're going to see each other. We don't want to not go to church, so we don't cross the one-to-one ratio. But the idea is our alone time, our one-on-one, either time or conversations, we want to keep those limited and let those be build as time goes on. And so the first quarter, maybe it's one talk a week on the phone, an extended time, and one time you get to see each other just one-on-one. Then you get in that second season, and maybe it moves to two and two, and then that third season, three and three, and then that fourth, four and four. Now again, this isn't an exact science, but this definitely helps us to have kind of a gauge or a flow that can help us to make sure we're getting to know each other, but we're also taking it slow. We get to see each other enough, but yet there's a yearning to want to see each other more because we're limiting ourselves. Now, there's one caveat. 
Um, again, remembering there's not an exact template. What about long distance? That's a big question that's come up a couple times, mainly because I know that we've acknowledged that Sarah and I had a long distance relationship while we were dating. And so for us, here's what I'd say to you. Um, it looks a little different probably than the one-on-one because I know for Sarah, she was away at Waco at Baylor University and I was here in Katy. And so for her and I, we couldn't have the one-on-one visits because we had distance between us. And so we spent a little bit more time talking on the phone. But even in that, we tried our best. We weren't perfect and no one will be, but we tried our best to limit those conversations, especially later on in our relationship as we began to learn a lot of the principles we're sharing with you now. Um, We tried to control that the very best that we could to make sure we got to know each other slowly, but that it was helpful and that we learned about each other and it was still exciting. That one advice I would give you is in these long distance settings, be really careful that when you get back for summer or holiday break or for whatever reason you guys are at long distance, be sure that you don't just go crazy. There's a huge desire, obviously, to see each other as much as you can because you don't get to see each other while you're gone. And that's understandable. And so your template might look a little different, but I would highly encourage you to just be careful. You don't need to spend every day together. You don't need to spend every hour together. Really still stretch that out, though you might encounter each other a little bit more in that season. And so that's some help with long distance. Can I say one note on that? Long distance was the greatest thing that ever happened to Sarah and I. It really was for me to be able. In fact, I was starting underground uh, from the ground up in that season. And so for me to be able to have total focus on this ministry and what it took to get it started and to rally the people together, I got to tell you, if if Sarah was here and we were dating, it would have been so much more difficult and probably wouldn't have happened the same. Vice versa for Sarah. She was focused in on school. She finished in three and a half years. I mean, she knocked it out and she needed all of her time to devote to that and to be committed to her church down there that she was serving at. And so these long distance relationships for some might be a deterrent, but for others, it could be perfect because it helps to balance and to protect you. And it helps you to accomplish this season of life, which is so important. Finishing school is so important. Uh, getting your your career established, which is what I was doing your ministry established. These are important seasons. And so God may bless you with a long distance relationship. Be sure to keep in mind that blessing and then try your best to balance that out well. So I just want to encourage you with that. For those that are doing long distance, it is possible. In fact, it might even be a great thing. You just got to kind of look at the pluses rather than the negatives. Now, here's another question. Is flirting inappropriate? This is this is good. I'll be honest. I didn't see this one coming. Um, so I had to think about it a little bit. But th- this is a really good question. Um, here's a couple of things. What makes flirting fun is usually you don't know what it means. Okay, that's kind of the, the fun. There's some... Uh, unknown. There's some mystery. Is she interested? Is she not? Is she just nice? There's all the, yeah, that's kind of fun, but it's also a little dangerous. What is flirting? Well, really flirting is a subtle or maybe not so subtle communication that you are available. You are telling someone that you are available. So when we understand that mindset, then we pull back and we ask the question, is flirting inappropriate? Well, if you're dating and flirting, that's probably not good, right? If you're dating someone and yet flirting with other people because you're just friendly and you enjoy life, that's probably not good. Let me rephrase that. It isn't good. Now, if you're single, but they are not, and you're flirting with them and trying to get them to flirt back, that as well is not good, right? Not healthy, nor is it showing love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
But if you're both single and you're both interested, a little bit of flirting is great. That's fine. Have fun. Enjoy that. Get to know each other. Make it fun. But remember, don't let the flirting get out of hand. Don't cross lines. Don't dress in a way to be flirtatious because all that does is cause confusion. Don't flirt in a way that would make it feel inappropriate or awkward or to say things that might cross the line, right? There's a boundary in all of this, but in good, fun, healthy flirting with two singles that are interested in each other to let each other know that they are available, there's nothing wrong with that. Just keep in mind the boundaries and always ask the question, am I honoring them and am I honoring the Lord? If you can answer those two things, then I guess in a sense you could say flirt away. Here's another question. This is a little bit more specific or a specialty question, but this is important in our culture today. If I have a child with someone, is it okay to live with them? I think before I can answer this question, I want to talk about kids in general. Uh, One of my jobs here at the church is um, not only working with you guys in this incredible ministry here at Underground and College and Singles, but I also work with our single parent ministry. And so I deal with a lot of questions like this on a frequent basis. And here's what I want to say. First of all, kids out of wedlock. Please hear that carefully. Kids out of wedlock are an unbelievable reminder of God's grace. A child out of wedlock is repercussions of a bad decision wrapped in the grace of God. Why do I say that? Because a child in any setting, any way, shape, or form, whether it's a good decision, a planned decision, a bad decision, or an unplanned decision, a child in any setting is a blessing. Now, it will have repercussions. Life becomes more difficult. Life with a person that you were once just dating, now have a child with, but don't plan to move forward with. Life becomes more difficult. It is a challenge. Single parenting is a challenge, yet it is wrapped in God's grace because no parent would say of their child, I wish they hadn't come. It will always say, even the most struggling single mom will always say that this child is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. It's a beautiful reminder that even in our repercussions, we have a gracious, loving God, but there's always going to be consequences, or maybe a better word for this setting would be challenges. Now, here's what I'd say to you. If you have a child or children, your job now is that ti- is that child. He or she, the child, takes priority over the person that you were dating. He or she, the child, takes priority over the person that you are dating. Now, why do we say this? Well, a couple things. First, your child now affects every decision you make. Everything you do, and at times everything you say, now affects this child. This is very important. When you have a kid, you no longer get to operate life the same. Okay? A beautiful blessing, but a great challenge. You don't get to go have wild nights out with your friend. You have a child that is now your priority. Now, if you remember, to close our series in week six, we talked about the priorities in life, biblical priority. And this may sound like we're contradicting that, but here's the key. When I say that that child has priority over the person you were dating, I say that because the person you are dating is not the person that you are married to. 
when we talk about marriage and we talk about parenting, it gets a little confusing because children outside of wedlock have a different setup in that biblical order than a spouse. Now, there's a couple of things we have to deal with here. First, again, I want to be really clear. Your child is a great blessing. And your child's safety, your child's well-being is your priority. But we also want to honor God where we are now and going forward. What happened in the past, even if it was just a few weeks ago and you're listening to this now, there's nothing we can do about the past. But from this moment forward, we can choose to honor God. So we go back to the question now. If I have a child with someone, is it okay to live with them? And the answer is, as clearly as I can be, no. We don't want you to live with someone just because you had a child with them. Just because you had a child with them shouldn't change your approach to wanting to date someone in a godly way. This is very important. Now, again, please make a note, and this is particularly for those of you that are single moms. Your child's safety is always priority. All right. Your child's safety is always priority. And so you must make the best decision in particular moments to keep your child safe. But in the long run, we want to make sure we understand that we don't want to continue down this path. The best thing for us to do would be to start over, to get into a safe place, preferably with our parents or someone we trust, and to begin the process of starting over and doing this the right way. This leads to another question that came up. If I have a child with someone, but I'm not married to them, should I stay with them? This is really good. If you have a chance to work this out with this person and you could still see a future with them, you guys just made a mistake of, of again, having a child out of wedlock. That's the only mistake here. If that's the mistake and if that's the situation, then by all means, I would say absolutely continue to stay with them. Try to work it out. Again, start now. Try to do it the right way. It, it has great effect on the child if you can stay together. It is a monumental moment. Uh, as a child of a single parent home myself, I know what it's like to not have one of the parents, at least in close proximity. It does make a difference. So by all means, if you can work it out and you feel good about that, go for it. That is a wonderful thing. But again, remember, start over. Don't just stay together, live together because you already have a kid together. Take some time to start from scratch so that you can do it the right way. And I know that may sound crazy to our culture, but what matters to God is what should matter to us. So therefore, I would say start over, get out of the same house and try to restore this thing. Do it in a way that honors the Lord and watch as he blesses you for your faithfulness. Now, here's the second part of this. What if it's someone that we know we should not be with? Well, here's something very important culture versus covenant. Now, track with me here for a minute. Our culture has told us that a marriage, if we could be really honest and a little bit more straightforward, is really nothing more than a wedding celebration and some paperwork, right? Why do we say that? Well, we see how common divorce is. We see how so many people don't even bother to get married because at the end of the day, it is just paperwork. But for Christians, is a celebration. It is legal paperwork, but the most important thing of all is it is a covenant made before God. 
if a covenant is made, it is not to be broken. We've addressed that in previous messages. So here we come to a new situation. What if I have a child with someone, but I'm not married to them? Should I stay with them? Well, if you are not married to them, in God's eyes, you are not covenanted to them. And therefore, you are not obligated to them as a future spouse or a person to stay with. However, you are obligated to them as a co-parent. That will never change. So whether you love this person or hate this person, part of the consequence of having that child outside of wedlock is that now you are committed to this person going forward as a co-parent parent. This is very, very important. We must keep the kids safe. It is for the kids and it is for us. So here's what we do. If you like this person, start over. Get out of the same house. Start a brand new relationship with Christ at the center. Love that kid the best you can and do it a little bit from a distance. Your time together will probably be shorter. Your engagement will probably be shorter and that's great. But make sure you follow the steps because even though a child is involved, we are still talking about a lifelong covenant before God to be married to this person. If you are with someone or have a child with someone, that you do not see yourself being with them, you know that it's not the right place, they're not in the right place, fill in the blank. You are not obligated to stay with them, all right? You are obligated as a co-parent, but not to stay with them. And so by all means, make the best decision for you and your child. And I hope this doesn't sound insensitive, but this is as practical as we can get in a very serious subject and a special subject like this. A couple more quick things. Do I have to tell my significant other about my addiction to pornography? Now, we talked a lot about this in recent messages, and so I want to be sure I don't rehash anything that doesn't need to be rehashed. But here's what I'm going to say to you as simply as I can. If you are addicted to pornography, male or female, by the way, you are not ready to be in a relationship. It's probably too deep of a place in the intimacy of your life to be talking about it with that person, right? We don't want to have these deep conversations about deep, intimate things like that early on in our relationship. So therefore, since you can't really talk to them about it, you're keeping it a secret and keeping a secret from them, especially with this magnitude and the potential effect it could have on your relationship and marriage going forward. You really don't need to be with anyone until you can get healing in this area. So if you're dating someone and they are addicted to pornography or if you are addicted to pornography, use that as a sign that you are not ready for a relationship. And I would encourage you to either stop proceeding with a relationship or to eliminate that relationship until healing can take place. And remember, when we say until healing can take place, doesn't mean the relationship is forever doomed. It's just not wise right now until we can work through this situation. One other question that comes up is, okay, addiction is a strong word. I'm not addicted to pornography, but every once in a while I do slip up and I look. And here's what I would say to you. If that is true, you got to be honest with yourself and really know yourself. But if that is true, then here's what you need to look at. 
if you can visit with someone you trust, an accountability partner, a counselor, someone that has influence in your life, if you can sit down and share with them and talk through it with them and allow them to help navigate you in life, then there's no reason for you to bring this up to someone that you're dating. It is just your priority to make sure you get a handle on it and do not let it develop into an addiction. However, if you find that it is growing and it's something that you're having a hard time to control, you don't need to go share it with that person. You need to just go ahead and take a break and let them know that something very serious is going on in your personal life and you're going to deal with it. And if they're willing to proceed in a relationship when you're done, then that would be best. Again, listen, this may sound crazy to some of you to end a relationship over this, but I am promising you an addiction to pornography, just like an addiction to any other substance, will be more detrimental than you could ever imagine as you proceed in this relationship. And it is not fair to that person, nor to you or to your kids that will follow to risk moving forward when something like this is eating away at you in secret. Last question for today. If my significant other has been unfaithful to me while dating or engaged, what should I do? This is great. Here's what you need to know. If you are engaged and that person you are engaged to is found to be unfaithful, you should end it right now. Caveat, that's my personal opinion, but I stand by it 110%. In your engagement stage is when you are most excited about being with someone. And if in the stage of being most excited about being with someone, they cannot stay faithful to you, you can almost guarantee, mark it down, that they will not be faithful with you going forward. And so to that, I would say end it immediately. Now, what if you're dating? Well, here's the thing. You have the freedom to make your own choice, but it is most likely a sign of what's to come, and I would say to you that you deserve better. Now, as Christians, we have grace with our friends, with people we're holding accountable, with people that we love, and this is not the same area. We're not talking about our closest friends or people that we're taking care of or people at our church. We're talking about someone we're dating because we think that we could marry them one day. If they are found to be unfaithful, a dating relationship is probably not the right way to go. Now, what if, just a small caveat as we close, what if you're married? What happens if you're married to a spouse and they are unfaithful to you? Well, I pray that you didn't know that while you were dating and now it's come up when you're married. So hopefully this is the first time this has ever come to be, first time you've ever heard of or seen this happen. And hopefully in real life, it's the first time it has actually ever happened. In that setting, you have the ability to choose what you shall do. Scripture is clear. We read that passage just last week that there are moments of sexual immorality that give permission for divorce. But I want you to hear that carefully. Permission and a mandate are two different things. You are never mandated to divorce someone because of sexual immorality. It becomes now a choice that you, as a godly man or a godly woman, get to choose to make. And so my advice to you is to be prayerful, Seek great wisdom from many people that you trust. Do that carefully so we don't bash someone's name. We're seeking wisdom. And then slow down and make the the decision that you feel God is leading you to make. Are you wrong for ending a marriage 
based on infidelity? No, you are not. But are you wrong for choosing to forgive as Christ has so often forgiven us and to give them a chance to proceed? No, you're not. And praise the Lord if you're willing to go that route. Now, if a continual habit takes place, probably best decision to close that chapter of your life. But Lord willing, if we date well and we watch well, hopefully, Lord willing, we won't have to deal with those things. Now, let me close this down with one last thought. There was a comment that was made, and I think it's very interesting. They said, you know, you can try all you want to get marriage advice, but you'll never really know until you get there. And I would say to them, you are totally right. We can prepare well, but we never really know until we get into that marriage situation with two unique personalities, with two unique individuals seeking two unique purposes and calls in life. It is very possible that you'll have no idea what to expect. But here's what I can tell you. The things we've been covering throughout this entire series, I can promise you that they are going to be some of the most helpful things. They're not going to safeguard your marriage from ever having problems, but I guarantee you they will set you up for much better success than not doing anything at all. These these guidelines, these boundaries we've laid for you, these are things we're putting in front saying we feel like the Lord wants you to hear this, wants you to know this. And we are hoping that you will trust us in this because we believe either from experience, research, or both combined that these are the things that can help shape you into the man or woman that God has called you to be and can help you to establish the relationship and then marriage God has in store for you. To the end of that comment, there was something else said, and that is that just putting God at the center doesn't guarantee a marriage will work. And to an extent, that's a true statement, but I'm going to come back on that for one moment and say this to you. If you will truly put God at the center of your life, God will direct every decision that you make. And if every decision you make is sought after truly by the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God is not able to lead you astray. It may not always control what happens on the other side with that person that you're dating or married to, but it surely can help lead you. And when we follow the Lord, life is not perfect, but there's an amazing thing that happens as God begins to lead, to guide, and to bless us in our lives. And so I just want to encourage you, hang on to the things we've talked about. I hope today was helpful. Uh, I hope that it gave some guidelines and maybe extended out some of the talks that we've done. I know there were many things we could have covered. In fact, every week could have been its own series in itself, but we've decided at this time to to lay out as much as we can in the time that we have allotted and then trust that the Lord can take it the rest of the way. We love you guys. We're proud of you. We're thankful. I am thankful to be your pastor or at least to be able to have a chance to speak into your life. Don't ever forget you are loved, you are unique, and you have a purpose. God bless you and may you have a happy holiday and we'll see you in a couple weeks. We're so thankful that you took the time to tune in and worship with us. We truly want to be a ministry that prays for you, so here's how you can help us do that. Please go to www.tinyurl.com backslash ugprayers. That's www.tinyurl.com backslash ugprayers. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.